This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hi everyone, this is Leon Logan Nathan. Welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. Uh, I would introduce you to my co-host Peter Gowers, but once again, he's missing in action, which um, is quite ironic because the last podcast we recorded was with our mothers um, in preparation for Mother's Day. And his mother said to me, the one thing that she uh, didn't like about her son, Peter, was the fact that he was always late. Uh, so it's quite ironic that uh, immediately after recording that one, old mate's missing in action. But that's all right. Uh, he'll eventually turn up and, uh, and we'll get him on because uh, I'm sure he'll want to ask our guests a number of questions. Um, it's uh, my great pleasure to invite back to the podcast um, Owen Pike. For those of you that don't know Owen, uh, I can't remember what episode number he's on, but uh, if you check the feed, you'll find him there. Uh, our analytics on Anchor tell us that um, Owen's podcast is the, to date, the most listened to and downloaded episode of all time for us. So um, I expect our, our numbers to have a spike after this. Um, uh, in addition to Owen, we've also got another guest. Um, his name is Christopher Walsh. He's a journalist. Uh, Chris will give us his background in a moment, but uh, between Owen and Chris, they've started up a new newspaper called the NT Independent. So we will be speaking to them about that and a whole raft of other things. So without further ado, uh, Owen, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Maybe. G'day, thank you. Okay, can we uh, go to Chris first? And Chris, uh, for the, uh, we've already got Owen's story, but we haven't got yours. What's, uh, what's your story? Where were you born? Ah, where was I? I was born from the furthest place in the world from Darwin that has a daily newspaper. So okay. <laughs> originally Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, somebody was pointing out, a friend of mine, when, when we left to come to Darwin, um, uh, he said, yeah, that's, Darwin's actually the furthest place in the world that has a daily newspaper from where you were born. So literally so, the antipodes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, hey, I, you know, I, I just want to, I just, look, it's not, it's not usual for me to cut you off like this, but uh, you mentioned Nova Scotia, and the first thing that came to my mind was the mass shooting that happened there the other day. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, look, just, just what I've read and talked to my brother who's still in there. Uh, well, he's in New Brunswick, but borders Nova Scotia and some friends there that I've spoken to. Um, yeah, look, that, that's a terrible, terrible disaster. And it's really horrible that, that that's what people would think when you mention Nova Scotia because it is a beautiful place. Um, that's one of those things. And, you know, it's a, a, a funny, well, it's a weird thing. But actually, the guy who did that 22 years ago, um, when I saw the building, they showed photos of, of the, he was a denturist and I said, oh my God, you know, I've been in that building before, not to get denture work done, but 22 years ago as a teenager walking home one night with some other friends and we ended up having a beer with this guy as he was building his denture clinic. Um, so when I saw that building, it took me back. And then when I saw a photo of the guy, I thought, Jesus, you know, yeah, we've had a beer with this guy a long time ago, just one night, a random beer, seemed like a nice guy. And then that's what happens, I guess. You know, something happens, something clicks, and these people go on um, on just horrible rampage. And just, yeah, it's really a tough thing. And uh, the people in Nova Scotia, I know, are they're resilient people, and they're they're kind of trying to get through all of this and make sense of all of it right now. And then at this point, it still doesn't make any sense. How many people uh, were killed in that uh, tragedy? 
I think we're looking at 22, 23, somewhere around there. I, I can't recall the, the exact figure, but um, yeah. And it was just kind of all over the place. You know, he dressed up as an RCMP officer and uh, um, had an RCMP cruiser, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It's like our federal police. Um, so yeah, it was a really scary thing and uh, just a horrible, horrible tragedy. So on, on, on a scale uh, that is, it is not dissimilar to Port Arthur by the sounds of it then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so you look to try and find, you try and make sense out of all of that stuff and, and how it is that someone can just snap like that. Um, yeah, and, I, you know, just thinking about Nova Scotia and all the people there, and I know that they're trying to sift through all of it now, and they're all coming together and they're helping each other out as they did. I mean, there are other times in Nova Scotia, and it's known it's a lot of, you know, things have happened there over the years. I remember, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago was the big uh, hurricane that came through and ripped up some trees. And, uh, but that's the whole maritime Atlantic Canadian thing is everybody comes together, um, similar to the Northern Territory in that sense too. I always get that same sense of community here that, that was there in Nova Scotia. What's the population of Nova Scotia? I'll be, I think it's 920 some thousand. So not quite a million. Right. Now, the other thing that I heard, and I heard this secondhand because I haven't read it anywhere yet, um, the Canadian government uh, has uh, used that incident to do what New Zealand did recently and passed some fairly strict gun laws from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at that too, Leon, and I, I don't know enough about that right now, but I also know that Canada's always had pretty strict gun laws. So that's why that this was so really senseless and, and, and people couldn't understand because they've been among the world leaders of banning those uh, uh, assault weapons. So exactly what that guy used, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, the government will probably take more steps now. But really, Canada is a place where, you know, and you watch that Michael Moore documentary from years ago, Bowling for Columbine, where he goes over to Canada and the doors are unlocked. Hmm. I mean, um, and people can buy guns there, but but we don't seem to have that level of madness where... You get a gun and you just snap and start shooting people. It just doesn't seem to happen in Canada, and I don't know why. I don't. I don't know if it's all attributed to the laws or just the way people are. But um, yeah, but they'll definitely probably take further me further measures. So let's get back to your story. Uh, born in Nova Scotia and uh, and grew up there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then um, oh, about two thousand and six, I went to uh, to a place called Stettler, Alberta. So I went out west. I was never much of a seafood eater myself. I wanted to go and land the cattle, get the good steak. So I uh, ended up in Alberta in the prairies uh, next to the, the Rocky Mountains. Um, worked at a community paper there, and that's actually where I met my, my now wife, uh, Chloe. She was, uh, uh, she was still in university then at that point, and she was the, the kind of the summer placement. That was her summer placement was in Stettler, Alberta, where I had just started working at the paper a couple months before. So... We kind of hit it off that summer, hung out, and uh, stayed together after that. Um, come to find out, it was funny, though, one day when we were doing, we called them streeters there. I think they're called uh, Box Pop here, you know, where you stand on the corner and ask the man on the street his opinion, um, which I think is really valuable for journalists um, because you never, you, you have to stay connected and understand what people that are actually thinking. Anyway, one day she said, oh, do you know where Darwin is? And I said, oh, Jesus, is there a place in Alberta called Darwin? Because Alberta, the southern Alberta anyway, is very religious. And I thought, well, that's a real kind of, that's the, the opposite if they have a place named Darwin there. And she said, no, no, it's in Australia. And I said, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so that's how I first heard about Darwin in the Northern Territory. And um, yeah, here, here I am now, uh, 14 years later, we've been living here for six years now. We came back and that was just a thing that happened where um, 
uh, I wanted to see her hometown. I wanted to see Darwin. She'd been to Halifax and seen mine. So uh, by this point, we were living in Calgary, Alberta. So got on a plane, came over here, uh, walked into the NT News. I knew the NT News because her father, uh, Ken, lived here, lives here still, in, but he goes back to Canada for half the year. So he would bring the NT News with him when he'd come over there and we'd sit and have laughs. So we understood a little bit about the politics, mostly the crocodiles, you know, the funny headlines. And that was really at the time when um, the NT News was really quite entertaining and funny and uh, had a lot of wit to it and how they covered it. That seems to have kind of faded off now. But anyway, we so when I showed up here, I actually arranged. What, what year in. was that? What year was that? So this, uh, when did we come here? We came here in 2014. Right. Um, early 2014, March. So I went in, uh, ended up having a meeting and I just wanted to share stories with them. I was working as a journalist then for an online newspaper in Canada and Calgary. And uh, I wanted to just, yeah, have a chat with them. So I went in, I chatted with uh, Rachel Hancock, who was the editor there for probably, oh, an hour and a half, I think. And I thought, you know, and then the other editors, and I thought, you know, should you guys be getting back to work or something here? Am I taking up too much time? Uh, but, you know, I guess that was just kind of the way they rolled with everything. And, um, yeah, on the way out, like I was, uh, you know, we got talking about a job. Rachel started saying, you know, we have a position opening. And I thought, wow, yeah, okay. Uh, I haven't thought of that. So talked it over with Chloe. And um, we moved back to, well, we went back to, to Calgary, packed up our house and everything, and came here for the, for the great adventure. Right, right. And no issues with visa or anything like that? No, because Chloe was uh, an Australian citizen, having been born here in Darwin. So, um, yeah, so now I got the, the partner visa, and uh, here we are. And then we subsequently got married in 2016 uh, out at East, uh, East Point. Uh, beautiful place for a wedding. Um, yeah, it's just funny, though, to think that and people always say, so you just, you literally walked in off the street as a Canadian into the NT News. They gave me a job. I, I think sometimes Rachel Hancock, I don't think that she ever regretted giving me the job. I think someday she thought, Jesus, I didn't expect there was going to be this kind of level of uh, craziness. And of course, then that all unfolded with the previous Giles-led CLP government and all the madness that ensued over that and uh, ultimately turned into that book, Crux in the Cabinet. Well, I've got to give you some kudos for that book. Um, look, uh, notwithstanding that I'm a lawyer, uh, believe it or not, believe it or not, I I don't really like reading that much. I like listening, uh, but I, I find reading a little bit of a challenge. So it was, um, y you definitely have a way of writing because I was given that book for Christmas. Uh, what, what, when did it come out? Yeah, 2016. 2016. 2016, end of 2016. Yes. Yeah, so I remember that because the next day I flew out to Sydney with the family for a bit of a holiday. I finished that book in two days, which just... <laughs> was for me unbelievable uh, yeah. it was well, such a scintillating read yeah and you know that thing and the whole thing so i did of course with ben smee who was the deputy editor at the time and i was the, the uh, senior political reporter um so we actually did that and it's funny because we we did it quick right you were saying when did it come out so remember the election was what august 26 um the book was out uh first week of november as I recall. And now that's a pretty quick turnaround in the publishing world. But And what we were doing in that lead up to the election, we were writing the book. I mean, I'd be out on my patio, back patio, having a glass of bourbon, going through all of the everything that we had covered for the past, uh, well, for me, two and a half years before that. And then for Ben, a little bit before that, he covered, he was a political reporter before I got here. So um, what that book allowed us to do, and I think the thing that 
that we really liked is that we could go back and, and see the patterns and see how things connected without us knowing at the time because when you're in the day-to-day -day newspaper world and then the 24-hour news cycle is just move on to the next story, move on to the next story. But we could see, well, wait a second. This was actually going on. I mean, you had, um, you know, the unfortunate incident with, well, Willem first, Willem Ruster Van Holt, who was the deputy leader. And he got mixed up in a share scandal in, um, in Vietnam with a company that he was negotiating with on behalf of the anti-government. Then he starts, uh, you know, trying to sign shares offers with them for other projects, personal projects. So he actually, I believe he ends up resigning on Valentine's Day. Um, and we go back and we see that it was around this time that uh, a young Lothario by the name of Nathan Barrett was sending, <laughs> was sending yeah, yeah. lewd videos, let's say, to, uh, to women who weren't his wife um, uh, around the same time. So you could see how, how everything kind of played out behind the scenes and we could kind of tie those things together and say, isn't this interesting that... These guys were on a, a, a crash course. Uh, in to, crashing. To, yeah, absolutely. Absolute devastation. And everybody was doing their own part, though, Leon. That was the whole thing. Like, Giles always says, it's disunity is death. No, they were, they were united in the way that they were all united together to ruin themselves. And it was, uh, yeah, it was just craziness. Right, right. And, and uh, look, just sort of getting back to Chloe, there was a bit of a thread there that I, I must have missed or you didn't mention. But so Chloe was from Darwin originally. Yes, from right. the territory. What, so what, are, what was she doing in Calgary? Well, so her, her family moved over there. Um, her mother and her brother and sister moved over there when she was 10 to Alberta, to a place called Lacombe, Alberta, and her mother's still there now. And uh, yeah, so she spent the rest, yeah, from 10 on in Alberta. And so Stetler was just about 45 minute drive from Lacombe where she was living. So she got the summer job there and um, yeah, that's how we met. And so she's quite happy to be back in the NT. Yeah, 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 she, she likes it. You know, we've, like I said, we came back, we got, so she came back, she did her master's degree. <laughs> I mean, there's always this, you know, this is the thing about the Northern Territory, as you know, Leon, and all the people you've talked to. So people say, oh, yeah, you know, we'll go for two years, right? And either they don't make it at all, they don't make it past the first year, or they make it past the two, and then it quickly becomes ten. And uh, <laughs> similar with us, I mean, I don't know if we had a firm thing, but, but we thought, yeah, we'll go for a couple of years, see what happens. And uh, here we are now, six years later, still here. And in the meantime, we, we've, we got married. Chloe did her master's uh, in information studies. She's a librarian by trade. And we had a little girl who just two days from now will turn two. Wow. So it's been a good, a good stay here in the NT. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm just uh, trying to piece together the timeline. So you came in 2014. Now, we had uh, Matt Williams on the other day. He said he came in 2015 and he came here to take up the position of chief, uh, chief of staff. I yeah, I think, he, uh, I think he would have come in 2013. Oh, is it? As I no, recall, because, uh, yeah, and then he was, yeah, he was chief of staff. It was, yeah, there was some, some weirdness around that. And then Ben Smee came and Ben was put on as political reporter. Um, yeah, and then by, by June 2014, I had started, and by that point, uh, I believe Matt was deputy editor then, and Ben was chief of staff. So this is all how it worked out, but it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting group of people to work with there. I mean, we had David Wood, we had uh, Zach Hope, who was a fantastic writer. Um, Jill Paulson became one of my very, very dear friends. She was just an excellent reporter there. Even, you know, we had Maria Bilius in those days working for us, who sadly has gone on to become the uh, communications director for this Gunner government. But 
um, she was there at the same time too. It was a good group of, of people and it was a real special time to be involved in that newspaper and the NT News. And of course, as things happened, you know, people kind of moved in different directions and moved away. And I don't think the papers really recovered from, from losing a lot of really senior people who knew a lot about the community and uh, knew and had built those sources and those contacts and become trusted in the community. So with any luck, that's what we'll end up doing here. And I think we're on the right track. Yeah, look, talking about news and, uh, and politics, you know, as you were talking, I was just reflecting on my 17-odd uh, years in the Territory, and it just seems to me there's this sort of pattern where journalists tend to sort of uh, drift in and out of the fifth floor, depending on which party's in power. And it's not just limited to Labor. Uh, I'm yeah. almost certain that there's a guy called Cam, and I'm trying to think of his last name now. It's just escaping me for a minute, but I can actually picture him. Well, there was Cameron Angus. He was no. a media advisor, but he was, he was never a journalist. I don't think he has any no, background Cam. in anything. No, he, he just went by the name of Cam, and uh, I can't think it'll come to oh, me Oh, Cam Smith, I think. Yeah, Cam Smith, yes, yeah, that's it, yeah, yes. Yeah. So yeah. He, he, he ended up in, in, in on the fifth floor at some point. If I'm yeah, 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 and look, you know, Gary Shipway, their Gary, of course. editor, I mean, he worked with the CLP for years. Yep. Um, for decades, right? And now he's back there being their business editor. Now, nowhere else in the world, really, Leon, is that really encouraged? I think it's frowned upon. I mean, in most places, you just wouldn't happen once you've, you've shown that you've been working for a political party and that you're, you're biased. I mean, clearly you're biased is that you wouldn't be getting those roles here. But for some reason, I don't know what the gunner calls it, the territory context or something. It's too small. Everybody's connected and we just are supposed to accept that there are these conflicts, uh, which personally I don't accept. I don't think that that's okay. Um, right. Now, I don't know much about uh, uh, Gunner's um, wife. Is, is her name Kirsty O'Brien, is it? Yeah, Kirsty O'Brien. So yeah. she's, uh, you know, she's, yeah, that, that, that's a really interesting issue because I know that some very senior people at ABC Darwin had concerns and continue to hold concerns over that relationship. So she, at, one, at some stages, was, was the chief of staff um, of the of the ABC Darwin newsroom, where her husband is the chief minister, and there were political things coming up. And I'll tell you that there were days there when I was working there that I felt uncomfortable talking about politics the way I would openly anywhere else because of her being there. And that, and there, like I said, there were a lot of senior people who, who raised concerns with management, who raised concerns even, even interstate with uh, uh, the bigger higher-ups in Sydney. And nobody really did anything about it. It's just there. I mean, uh, I remember there was a day where, and look, they try to manage it well, and I guess they're trying their best to manage it. It's just an unmanageable situation, I think, that needed to be corrected. But, you know, an instance where um, Robin Lamley, um, as an independent MLA, and then came out and um, said on radio on, on the morning show that, uh, you know, and it was around the time that Gunner, uh, well, that Terry Mills was trying to start a political party and there was some interference. And then Robin Lamley said, you know, the Gunner's, Gunner, Gunner's mother actually works for the speaker. And see, nobody was taking any action on the speaker's office, who actually was found to have interfered in the establishment of a political party, but she remained speaker. She, she blamed a staffer for it. But Robin Lamley went on and said, look, Gunner's mother works there. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on up there. We don't think this is appropriate. Now, Christy O'Brien that day was the one reading the news. So I turned it into a news piece and put it online. And then there was this position where, how do we do that? And the chief of staff at that time came over and said, well, we'll just take Christy off reading the news that day. If you do the story at the four o'clock, if you write it up for the four o'clock and the five o'clock one, she just can't read it. 
But I mean, to be in that position, I, that's a real treacherous place to be. Like, I mean, you're really walking a fine line there. And uh, uh, yeah, that, that probably should be managed better. I, I have this, this recollection too that there may have been a Channel 9 reporter that, um, that uh, married or, or certainly um, became involved with a, a CLP politician. I'm, why, I'm just having a, a mental blank as to who that was. Oh, um, I, yeah, and Leon, I, you know, this kind of stuff's happened for, forever here, really, when the, and the politicians and the journalists mingle like that. I mean, that's going to happen, and our thing's compromised, then you have to ask that question, and it's about, it's about how you manage it, I guess, and sometimes you can't manage it. But it is, it's just, that's just a Darwin thing. Was it Adam Giles? Yeah, Adam Giles married an IBC journalist as well. Oh, there you ah, go. Yeah, 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 that's right. With, um, I don't know if he's married, but definitely got kids together. Right, right. So it just, you know... Yeah, I don't quite understand that. I'm not sure. Look, I mean, Malandiri McCarthy was uh, read the news for the ABC. I don't know if you remember that, Owen, but you know, she read the news for the ABC quite a uh, you know for quite a few years before she went into politics. Um, yeah. I mean, if you want to go federal, Maxine McHugh uh, was uh, was in the ABC before she ran for Labor in a in a federal seat and actually knocked over John Howard, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, there is there seems to be a <laughs> A lot of mixing of... Uh, well, it, it can happen. I mean, look, journalists can run as, as politicians or be involved in political parties, but it's kind of really a no way back from that, yeah. right? Once you've done it, then, then you've done it. You better stick in that field. So is, is Christia Barine still in the ABC? Yes, she is. Yep, she's on maternity leave. Now, apparently they have a baby together, right? You mentioned to me offline a few minutes ago that the, the baby's now got an Instagram account. Is that right? Yeah, somebody sent me that over the weekend where they've, yeah, the, the baby Hudson has uh, yeah, his own Instagram account already with photos of himself on there and they've done little cute write-ups. And uh, yeah, that's, we'll leave that for people to make their own is that, is, that, over, is, that, is that what you call 21st century politics these days? Uh, oh, know? God, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I don't get that, really, but, hey, that's me. I want, there's, there's one other dot I want to connect before we, we go into the independent, and that is uh, you, how did you go from being in the uh, NT News to the ABC? <laughs> well, Leon, yeah, I mean, it comes up from time to time. So there was some unpleasantness at the NT News over something that I found out was going on um, after I got a call from the direct then director of communications at Labor. I raised the issue with my employer um, and I was terminated. I think uh, as far as that goes, people can go online and Google it. I'm not sure how much I can say at this point about what happened because there was a, there was a settlement. Um, and yeah, so people can Google that though and, and see what was being alleged. And what uh, what transpired, and then from there, it was it was kind of an easy move over to ABC. Um, they wanted me there. I was doing a lot. Of, I was doing some radio uh, work for them at first, and I was the investigations producer for the radio programs, which was kind of a new role that was established, which was which was entertaining. Like it was fun. It was good to to learn that kind of aspect of it, the whole radio side of things. And then I went down to the newsroom for a while, and um, uh, you know, continued to break some some pretty good stories. Um, yeah, and then it just kind of moved on from there, and it seemed like, you know, they brought in some new management there. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't really know what happened at the end there. I mean, my, my contract expired, 
and it wasn't renewed and I was never really given a reason why. Um, uh, interesting to note that, you know, I mean, people could make any type, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything, but clearly there was probably some political issues at play there. I don't know. Um, so yeah, so, uh, look, the NT independent came along Owen, Owen and I, uh, started talking about things. I mean, I had some other things on the go that I was, I was going to do and I had another contract offer on the table, which I was going to take. Um, but then, uh, Owen and I had a discussion, uh, over a beer one day about what would, a, an online independent online news site look like here and what, why, why is it necessary? And I remember telling him, look, I want to help you with it. I don't know if I want to be involved in it, but I certainly believe that the territory right now needs an independent, uh, news site because what's going on. I mean, the, 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 the advertising, uh, with the government and you could see, I mean, look, we've been pretty open about it. We wrote it in a column on the weekend that there's serious concerns when a newspaper's running uh, an elected official speeches, just speeches verbatim and not, not questioning anything. And I, I've, I've failed to see the value to the community of just seeing a one sided political spin, completely spun speech. Not just running any questions. but on the front page as well, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So those were, so that's, I mean, look, that's just what's happening. When, when Owen and I got talking about it, it, it kind of went from there and you could probably talk a little bit more about that. Hmm. Owen, uh, the last time we spoke, I, I don't even think you mentioned the newspaper. You may have, I need to go back and listen to that podcast again, but uh, definitely we talked about Gummit uh, and that has, how, how many followers does that have now? Oh, around 8,000, I think. 8,000, my goodness, yeah. right. It's almost as much as Darwin buys, sell and swap, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, so, and, and so what made you go from government to, you know, a, a news? Well, nothing's made me go from government to a newspaper because I'm still running government. Government's right. just my own opinion and my own entertainment. I don't do it to monetize. It's just what... What are the thoughts of a certain part of myself, not not the entire old type? <laughs> I, I get to be a certain a certain character right. um, when I do that type of stuff. But um, yeah, what I, I think the same thing that motivated me to start government to just um, start pointing out some satirical a satirical view on politics was the same thing that brought me to want to launch The Independent. And for a long time, I think I probably sat on it for about six, nine months before pulling the trigger. My initial plan was to have a very a very fringe, small, micro um, uh, online news business. Um, but then as it grew, I, I, or not as it grew, but I, I just see the space, the, there's a void in the Northern Territory for independence in the territory where the government has a lot of control um the government has a lot of control um sorry i'm just getting background noise um the government has a lot of control by the amount of revenue that they have coming in um that they spend well the amount of public servants they employ and the amount that they spend with with local businesses that people can't be critical or the cost to being critical is significant um, I've seen that that when I started being um, when I started being loud uh, with government, the chief minister found a way to write a letter to the Chamber of Commerce to have me sacked. Um, 
and we're, we're we're experiencing the same with the NT Independent. You know, we've we've um, we're having our access to Parliament House um, removed. We're not allowed to have access to Parliament House, or the journalists aren't allowed to go there. Um, we got a letter from one of the departments last week threatening to sue us. Um, For what? I can, probably can't go into details mm. in that, Leon. I might have to call you offline. You're a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it wasn't for anything, any, any reporting, any misreporting or anything like that. that, that that's 100% for sure. Yeah, not, yeah, not, yeah, not defamation or anything like that. It, it's just absolutely scraping the bottom of the barrel to find reasons to, to shut us up. Um, and if, if anything, it just galvanises us to go harder. Mm. Um, so hopefully with the right the right moves in the next couple of weeks we'll be able to tell that story as well um but yeah the, the reason to the the like nobody starts an independent online newspaper with the effort to be um to make a million dollars from it it's it, it's I, I think that this contributes to the democracy of the northern territory and somebody has to do it because average joe just can't speak and if he does he gets shot Mm, mm. Well, I'm a big uh, fan of democracy, so uh, you know. Also, I may or may not agree with everything that every you know every newspaper uh, publishes. I absolutely agree in in our freedom of uh, expression and freedom of speech. Um, I, so, tell me something. How did you uh, how did you two guys get together? And I mean, Chris is obviously a, a you know a, a, well a published. Um, author, uh, amongst other things. Uh, so he comes with some pretty high credentials. How did you guys get, get together? Um, I think mostly through a few different things that I, would, I was talking about online mm. um, across paths with Chris. Um, so I think we knew of each other. Um, I definitely didn't know Chris uh, when he was at the NT News. Um, I probably just got to meet him a year ago. I think we caught up for a coffee originally and just had a general chat and we, we had we were talking about some current affairs and I, I think uh, we sit in the same our concern for for the the structure of the Northern Territory and how conflicted some things can be that we, we share that common goal that we want to make light of it and make it better um, and, yeah, and we struck it off there and then late last year when I decided to <coughs> to bite the bullet and actually create this online news paper and, and do it a bit more uh, um, bigger than what I'd originally planned, um, I asked Chris to come on board. Right. Uh, so, <coughs> how, how many employees? Think, sorry, Chris, go ahead. Well, yeah, so I was going to say when we, when we met, when we had that discussion um, about what it, what it should be and what it should stand for and what its ultimate goal should be, which is, like Owen says, to, to restore democratic accountability, and, and faith in the processes of the system that we think is missing, is sorely lacking now. Um, the allegations of corruption in the public service, um, all this stuff that, that just never seems to go away and never gets fixed. Can we do something where we hold people accountable for that stuff? So that was the thing. So I said to Owen, though, look, I, and I knew that the, the government has been controversial, um, to say the least, I guess, uh, and caused issues there. And a lot of people think that, that that's Owen. Um, being himself, and, and I know, I haven't met with, met with him, and know him quite well now, uh, after working with him for months. Um, that, that's kind of a, a satirical, like, you know, it's kind of an extension of whatever. But I told him, I said, look, the only way I'm going to do this is if uh, I have full editorial control. 
of the newspaper of the NT Independent, and that means you know you 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 can't come in and 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 try and slant the way we're going to report things. I'm going to report things the same way I did for the NT News and the same way I did for the ABC, which is straight down the line. We give people the right to reply, and we don't. There's no stitch ups with anybody. Um, so Owen agreed to that, and and I can tell you that that is to the point now that he doesn't even have access to the actual website. I mean, that's just we've we've done that. The other thing, and we're in the process, and we're still talking to people, and we've got we kind of you know the, the the coronavirus, of course, for everybody turned everybody's lives into chaos, and we're kind of working through that too now. And it was difficult to meet up and get the people together. But the other founding policy here is this uh, integrity council that we're putting together, and we have a lot of really. Um, good territorians on board. And the idea there is to help, is to have these people from the community who've already contributed a lot to the territory, to have them help us develop what our editorial guidelines and policies will be moving forward. And also if there are complaints made about any of our reporters and how they handled the stories, that those complaints go to an independent council to review um, so, that there is that, so that there is that separation. Um, and, and also, is just is a way to build trust. And we know that the, the, the community has a hard time with journalists, maybe not so much here, but everywhere around the world. Building trust is so crucial and so important. We know we need to do that. We, know we, we need to earn their trust. I hope that I've done that. And I've shown people that for the past six years of covering politics here in the NT, who I am and what my principles are. Um, but we know with the new paper that we have to do that. We have to build that trust. So we're, we're, we're taking that so seriously and we're doing that um, every day we're, we're striving for that and we will be announcing that integrity council soon and it's going to be a wide cross-section of people of all political stripes and uh, all business backgrounds and um, other community backgrounds um, yeah we're really excited about that well Chris I must say that those comments uh, really resonate with me because prior to coming on this podcast uh, you know I had a perception in my mind about what you guys were doing it is what you've just described there is quite different to the perception that I had. I thought this was um, this was Owen's uh, project that he was going to have, uh, you know, uh, a bit of a rant about everything. But uh, clearly, it's much more than that. Um, and, and so, can you tell me, like, I mean, do you have many? I mean, how, your reporters. I mean, I mean, how are you how are you guys funding all of this? It sounds expensive. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, like that, that it'll be like any startup. Owen can explain that in a second. But yeah, can I say, I mean, we're, we've just, um, that we've started, we've, we've already got people who want to contribute, people from the community, and we're trying to do what Owen actually wrote in his publisher's note, which is about giving, you know, voice back to people who are too scared, or too afraid to, to come out and talk about it. But we've also attracted a lot of respected people. Like just this weekend, we, we ran a, a very, uh, important opinion piece by Don Fuller, who's the former professor of governance and head of the School of Law at, and Business at CDU, talking about that new city campus. We've had um, Kylie Stevenson's a regular contributor. She's the Walkley award-winning journalist who did the Lost in Larima podcast. Um, we've got uh, other reporters here who've worked in at the NT News and, and other places. And um, yeah, we're 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 really. I think we're starting to get that. You know, I think people are starting to see what we're actually doing, and we hope that that continues. And it is, it is independent. Mm -hmm. And so, Owen, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, funding this whole project, which you, you say is bigger than what you wanted it to be or originally envisaged, how do you do that? Uh, so we're of, <laughs> thankfully, we have a 
a successful engineering business, um, financing the startup. But the, the, the goal is to to make it profitable, otherwise it can't be sustained. And then I don't think that that, that comes as a cost to the Northern Territory. Um, so right now we're in a very beneficial position that I've got the office space um, that we don't have to pay rent in. We've got all the uh, operational overheads uh, to employ staff that I can do through our normal normal business MMC um, until it gets to a point um, that we can make money for ourselves. So the, the goal is now to just get journalism right, get stories written, grow from our advertising capability there. Uh, we're, we're less than a month in um, and in three months' time is when we want to start creating revenue. But from an operational perspective, you know, we're looking at about uh, we're looking at about an operational cost of half a million dollars a year. So it's not a massive business, but one thing that it will do, um, the being just online, our ability to provide um, a much cheaper reach for local business. That if you look at the traditional newspapers, not just in the Northern Territory around the world, but they're just because of the fact that they have to be printed, that it's a very costly product, that small local businesses don't, um, can't afford to advertise alongside good journalism. And um, that's what I want to bring back. And, I, you know, I, I don't want to see Coca-Cola and McDonald's on my webpage when I open mm. because um, that type of advertiser I don't think is going to get maximum bang for buck. You know, I, I want to see... I want to see the small local businesses that are spending a small amount of money and getting good returns. So there's a few things that we've already started playing with, our advertorials. Um, and we're in the startup phase, we're not charging any any cost for advertising because we're just seeing how it works ourselves. So it's definitely a long-term game. Very fortunately for me, I've got a business that can support it. And more importantly, I've got a family that, that believe the same thing that I do. Um, and just drawing back on one of your comments before that you're, uh, you know, you, you you thought that this NT Independent would just be a um, a a a business for me to to have my voice put out. That's definitely not the case at all. I want the the thing that I want here is is to to distribute all perspectives of politics from the left, the right, the progressive, the regressive, but I want it to be a local voice. I don't care what the what the point of view is, what the story is, but it's just got to be local. Um, well, I'm a passionate Territorian. Um, I want to give back or give local businesses the ability to maximise maximise not just in advertising but ma have a voice. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and there's no way that I could get uh, the likes of Chris Walsh and Dave Wood on board if I, um, if I could influence... Um, uh, the way in which they report. So I, I, I'm definitely a, a good source of stories um, to them, but um, being able to manipulate how how and what they report is just something that I can't do. I'll try. <laughs> <but I can't> <laughs> <do it. laughs> who's who, who's Dave Wood? Um, so he, he's um, Chris's right hand man. Right. Um, looks after most of the uh, helping the business be set up at this stage, but he's also a very good journalist. So yeah, he actually Leon. He came over. He was. I met him at the NT News when I started in 2014, and uh, he and I became good friends. He he actually he was back at the NT News. He was the digital the deputy digital editor, and we poached him. 
we took him and he wanted to come and work with us and start this new project because he had the same belief in it. And he was also frustrated being at the NT News. I mean, the, the, nothing's really changed there. They're not, they're not striving for, for greatness or anything anymore. And it seems to be that's just the policy from the top there. So it's exciting, I think, for him to come and, and join this new project and see where it goes. And he's, he's very valuable and a big part of it and contributing well. Well, there's one question I want to ask you in relation to all of this, uh, and it's something new and it's something I don't quite understand, but I know Matt Williams has been um, posting this on LinkedIn a reasonable amount lately, and that is uh, the Commonwealth Government's uh, decision to make the likes of Google and Facebook pay for the content that they are effectively uh, using or some would say stealing. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you know much about that? We're still trying to figure that out. And actually, that's on David Woods. Woody's uh, agenda, I think, is to look into that. Right now, we're not sure how that will affect us or how it will affect smaller producers, certainly News Corp, ABC, um, Fairfax, Channel 9. Um, yeah, it would certainly have impacts there. Well, you know, and, and that's if they actually go ahead and do it. Like, there's probably ways to hide and cheat and steal like they're used to doing anyway. So I don't know. We're, we're, we're looking into it, though. We'll know right, more. right. Woody will know more. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, if if you know, I mean, look, the, the whole media landscape has changed so much in the last you know ten years that um, I, look, I don't even understand how it works myself. I mean, if I pick up my phone, you know, I've, there's an app there called News, and if I click on that, all of a sudden I've got access to Vanity Fair, to the Atlantic, to you know, New York Times, and all that, and I'm not paying for it. So I, I don't mm-hmm. actually even understand how that works. Do, do you? Uh, yeah, we're looking into that too. But okay, you can pay, and I think you get access to all of that. Um, when you don't pay, you get some stories, just from what I've seen, and then other ones you'll click on, you'll be really interested, and say, "Oh no, this is grabber only." But that whole paywall mentality, like that, yeah. Look, Owen can probably talk about that a little bit more, but we're not. That's not part of our model. We think that people need access to free news, and we want to give it to them in quality journalism. Um, There'll be a trade-off for that with with advertisements and things like that, but that whole paywall um, mentality is not something we want to do. Right, right. Okay, so um, you mentioned a, a recent article by Don Fuller. Um, just just for the benefit of our listeners, what uh, what did what was his uh, thesis and what was his conclusion? Yeah, well, look, I encourage people to get on there and read it, but uh, he was talking about the, the new, so what we were looking at was the last CDU said $430 million to build a new uh, campus in the CBD. Uh, whether that or not that's needed is really the question. And at this time, when CDU is going through financial problems, they've announced a $22 million deficit for this year. Last year was something similar that the NT government came in and paid off. And there's a lot of similarities there, and Don Fuller doesn't get into them, but there's a lot of similarities between the way the Gunner government functions and operates and the way CDU functions and operates. And, and uh, people will draw their own conclusions from that, I think, and, and see those parallels in there. But what Don's saying is that at this time where CDU is clearly lost uh, uh, enrollment figures, international enrollment, and we've already seen it coming down, but they're saying, oh, no, once we build this, they're all going to come back. Well, we're in a new world after this coronavirus pandemic and after the follow from this. And it doesn't seem that they understand that. They think that, that everybody's going to, that things will go back to normal, and that's hopeful, but it's not going to be that way. And, and especially with international students, we're looking at a whole brave new world moving forward, and things are going to change. And 
$430 million for a federal government, too, is kicking in a lot of that money. They might need some of that money for other things as well moving forward. So when they've got a functioning campus and they've got um, another waterfront campus that's barely used at all, yeah, just you got to ask those questions. How is this place being managed? And where's the business model anyway for that, for that, for that $430 million building? They still haven't presented that. So it's definitely, and that's, the kind of, that's exactly the kind of piece we want, those kind of where informed opinion if you will, Leon, you know, where people who, who, who know a lot about a particular subject can come on and help get the conversation started with everybody else and from an informed, from an informed perspective on it. And that's really what we're striving for. And we've done that. We've had some really good columns, I think, already from even just, you know, everyday territorians. It doesn't have to be academic or business or whatever, just people who know about a particular topic. We had a guy writing about the pet laws, the pet rental laws, right? He's a real estate guy. And he had some really good insight into the numbers involved here and stuff. And that's what we want. We know it's going to enrage people sometimes, but you know, that's what a good newspaper does. You're not going to get, you're not going to agree with everything that the the opinion columnists write, but the fact that they have it there, let's have the debate. That's what we want. Well, the pet laws, uh, I think the the (laughs) number of signatures on that, uh, um, petition was as, as many as the number of subscribers to government. I mean, seriously, it was up by 8,000. It's just unbelievable. Um, I'm glad someone wrote about that because that is just, a, you know, a classic exercise in introducing something that was absolutely unnecessary. Uh, yeah. Just ridiculous. But anyway, sorry, you, you, you've touched a nerve with that one because, uh, you know, I'm all for government and, uh, you know, and, and good laws, but that one was a no it was something that they thought would be popular and then as soon as it wasn't and it's funny to watch that too that the the clp didn't really say anything at first either mm-hmm. after it passed they didn't really care until the <sighs> till the voices from the people started yeah. and then they hopped on board and said oh no we're against this we're against yeah. this <laughs> and i'm glad you made that point i'm glad you made that point because as a territorian uh, and as some as an observer of politics and someone who you know is casually involved um in these kind of conversations, it, it pains me no end to see um, both the CLP and the, AL, and the ALP just in such disarray when they're in government, when they're in government, you know? They're all fantastic in opposition. Uh, can't put a foot <laughs> wrong. Um, but it just... You know, and I had a conversation. Who was it with? Uh, I'm just trying to think. It may have been with Matt. It was, in fact, it was with Matt Williams about how we pay for our politicians. And it, it just seems to me that the way this pay structure is, 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 um, is done, it just doesn't encourage the brightest and best of the territory to consider politics as an option. Yeah. Well, and that was, that's a big thing. And we were worried about that in 2016. So we knew we had a bad government the the Adam Giles led country liberal party government was awful. And, and the the electorate showed that and they took it out on them and they only won two seats, but you're right about the quality of the candidates. So what we were going to do at the paper, Ben and I, I don't know where Matt was that day, but we were going to do a help wanted ad and like put it on the front of the newspaper and say, we need quality people to come forward here. We need people who've been successful in the community to step forward and step up and give back because, you know, this current crop, I mean, look, even with that previous, the CLP government, those people didn't have a lot of experience. And in fact, that's how, that's how foundation 51 started. And this whole turned into a whole, you know, alleged slush fund. Well, I think that was proven in the donations inquiry, but 
that all started just to, to get business people in to educate the CLP members who didn't know anything about business. So they were bringing people in, guest speakers to teach them stuff. Um, and then that went, that went crazy. But, you know, those people weren't really ready or in positions where they should have been in leadership roles like that. And then we've seen the exact same thing with the current ALP where um, Owen and I were talking about that. We got to do a story on that. Owen, remember the uh, uh, business director, company directors course. Yeah. Oh, yes. So each of them, the, the ministers, while their ministers are taking company directors courses at just exorbitant cost to taxpayers, like $25,000 yes. for each of them to fly wherever. And then they didn't even pass the goddamn thing. So actually a lot of them failed. Well, let's talk about let's talk about that more money. let's talk yeah. about that right because I, I can talk about that with some level of authority because i've done that course right oh it's a tough course no, yeah. I, I did that course um as part of um sitting on a board i was on a board and the board said look you know you guys did uh, you know and i i thought well how hard can this be i've got an economics <laughs> degree i've got a law degree right it was rigorous it's there was hard. no yeah. question about it but i did it up here in darwin uh, mm -hmm. It was it was because they hold it around Australia, and it was it's a five day course. Uh, there's an assignment and there's an exam, and I've never done an MBA, but it felt like a mini MBA. That's what it felt like, right? I heard. That. I want I want you guys to know this. There would have been oh maybe twenty people at that course, and without a word of a lie, and I'd, I'd say five would be an exaggeration five of them would have been in the private sector, 15 of them mm. were from government. What on earth are public servants doing, doing yeah. a, a course in, uh, you know, direct, directorships? You know? Yeah. Well, you know, Being they're, they're upskilling at the taxpayer's expense. They're upskilling. I mean, that was the whole thing. I think we had Rolf Gerritsen on the original story I did for ABC about that. That, that company director's course, and as difficult as it is, um, that really isn't good for politicians either. I mean, they're, they're better off taking, uh, you know, uh, different courses in, in terms of, uh, you know, public policy and things like that, because that's not covered in this. Now, this really, the, the cynical person would say, yeah, that is, uh, they're clearly lying in their nest for when they get out of politics, which may be sooner than a lot of them think um, to have these programs. But yeah, like you said, with the public servants, that's really, that's a taxpayer's expense that they'd be covering that. And yeah, I can't find the justification for that. Owen, I know you've been writing furiously. Is there anything uh, that you want to talk about in relation to what we just discussed? <laughs> no, actually, I've I just been taking notes down for other reasons. Because we've got to do that comment, story. <laughs> one, one comment you did say before that, you know, that these, these parties are good in opposition. Yeah. Um, I, I disagree with that, and, and especially right now that, you know, the fact that there's only two parties in opposition and then we've got the other opposition fighting for opposition that that um that, that they haven't been good in opposition at all you look you look how terrible this government has been and and without without blowing my own trumpet but it, it feels as though a, a facebook page run by me's had more been able to hold them more accountable and be more critical than than the opposition themselves um that i'm a conservative and i want the clp to be to be good but they i don't think that they've rebranded and reformed after the terrible government that they did have. Um, and the fact that that the government is doing so poorly, opposition isn't doing a good job, that we've got a new model that's been born in Territory Alliance. Um, and, and that's literally a mishmash of all extremes of, of uh, 
of politics and and they, they've just got the absolute political freedom to to launch and get traction and not be held and people aren't being critical of them and their whole model is that we will exist because the other two are shit that's as basic as it is um so i i, I disagree i think we need to we need to find a way to get some good people in there well, you need, to, you need to pay them more, mate, because what happened was back when Claire Martin was in government, right, they, uh, through political pressure, uh, a little bit of political pressure, I'd say, but also to try and make, I, I suspect, to make themselves look good, they just got rid of the one thing that was really the incentive for people to go into politics that were doing well outside of politics, and that was the pension scheme right? Because you didn't get paid much while you were there. But if you were there for two terms, then you basically got a pension for the rest of your life. And that gave you the ability to go and do other things without having to worry about money. They got rid of that. And so did the Commonwealth government. And it appears, I think you guys can track that if you like, but it appears that since that time, we have just had an erosion in the quality of, I mean, think about it. Back in the day, I mean, you're a CLP, you know, uh, you've just said that, uh, you know, you want the CLP to do well. Well, you had the likes of Marshall Perrin, Shane Stone, and yes, they all came with, with, with a bit of baggage of themselves. But by and large, it appeared that there was very strong government, from self-government till probably around about uh, the time I think Shane Stone was deposed. Uh, you know, things were pretty strong in there. There was, I mean, look, there was, uh, there was no doubt that there was, uh, you know, elements of nepotism and back, you know, backdoor deals and things like that. Um, but, but, you know, the territory had a pretty strong footing. Uh, all that has seemed to have over time been eroded and it just, you could almost wow. track it back to the, uh, the the, 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 you're talking about a correlation there, maybe. And I hope it's not the causation part of it, because I would hope that you get into public service to serve the public and make the place that you live in a better place rather than doing it for a pension. But your point's taken. like that. That is interesting. We'd have to examine that, but I'd hope they wouldn't be getting into it for the pension. Uh, um, look, but, they, no, but they you're they not going to give up. You're not going to give up what you've got, Chris. So I, I agree with you. I'm not sure what, what the structure is in pay, whether it's a pension or more more money while they're doing it, but there, there clearly has to be something done to get higher calibre people in there. Um, um, and, and I'm not going to throw names at... <laughs> I'm not going to throw names at, at those there, but there, there has to be something... There has to be something done. But it's the same as the, 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 the two issues. There's no one party is going to be elected if they say that politicians should be paid more. They won't get elected, and and the other, the other white elephant is the um is the public service itself. That you know, no, there, there's thirty five thousand public servants or twenty two thousand full time equivalents, but I believe there's thirty five thousand public servants in a population of a hundred and ten thousand people working. Um, that we can't sustain. We can, we with with the revenue we've got, we can't sustain that. But any party that says that 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 has to be cut will lose or won't win the election. Well, let's talk about, I mean, Leah, Leah Finocchiaro from the CLP, the first thing that she said when she took over as leader of the opposition was, public servants, your jobs are safe. That was the first thing, Owen. How can we progress with things like that? You can't. Like, so if she says that, well, um, 
So if their their jobs are safe, or hopefully if anybody quits, they won't be replaced. Um, and and like the, the, just to show the amount of power the public service has is in this time of the pandemic, when when state revenue has more than halved, um, that there's no there's no job cuts. If you're in the private sector and your company revenue halves, there are cuts everywhere. Um, and the public service just hasn't done that. And it's for no other reason that the that the, the the political cost of the political cost of saying that public servants should lose their jobs, or some of them have to lose their jobs, they'll, they'll lose the election, so they won't. Um, so Leah's got Leah's got no other choice than to make that comment. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't be in politics to um to not tell the truth. Yeah, look, uh, the public ser- public service numbers are definitely a hot potato. I often find myself, if I was to be perfectly honest with you, and I've said this on previous podcasts, I get a little bit conflicted in downtimes. I'm no fan of the size of the public service, but uh, if they went through and did to the public service what the private sector has had to do in in this COVID-19 crisis, we would be in deeper doo-doo than we are now. Because effectively, you'd be putting you know, 10,000 people out of work or, you know, 5,000. Uh, and the, the, the immediate effect on the economy in terms of spending and in terms of people leaving town would be fairly devastating, I would have thought, for the NT. Yeah. To me, what needs to happen is, and I've had this, you know, I have had Barneys with um, previous treasurers uh, in, in, uh, in the NT, when times were good, Back in, you know, between 2003 and 2015, uh, we had a dream run with the exception of a couple of minor blips. During the good times, that was when we needed to really sharpen the pencil and have mm. the public service, you know, maintain certain numbers and maintain their own budgets, for goodness sake, Owen. You know? I mean, you, you're a private sector guy. I mean, how long can you run a company, uh, you, you know, blowing your budget every year? Well, you can't. That, that's the that's the sheer fact. And and like back to your comment before, and saying that you know ten and five thousand public servants' jobs being cut. I, I don't think I was suggesting that, but there, there can be there can be cuts. And I understand that at times like this, the emergency services have to work overtime, and it'd be a very hard measure to to put them in pain and ask them to do more. But um, you know, we've got a department of tourism right now with no tourism. Um, there's, there just has to be, I'm not saying that we get rid of them, but do they work half weeks? Um, the, the, the sheer fact is that their wage is paid for by the taxpayer. Um, and, and they're not being, they're, they're, they're a cost to the taxpayer, they're a cost to the voter, um, um, but, but the voter's got no control over limiting that cost. So... There's a, another another fun fact there, and just to show the amount of power that they have, the CPI increase for a public servant's wage actually rotates on the election day. So that 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 depoliticizes that depoliticizes that exact fact. That the fact that that happens on the election day means that that the the issue of CPI for public servants coming up. If a, again, if a party brings that up. They'll go to the election saying that they won't allow the CPI increase. Um, what, one thing is that that won't happen for another year because they'll get it on that election day when there is no government in place. Um, um, 
yeah, that, that, that in itself just shows the amount of power that the public service has. I mean, but, you know, okay, okay fair enough. We're not cutting any public servants during this time. But really, do, we, do they need to have a pay rise uh, in this current economic climate when the private sector is doing everything they can to keep people employed? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But they, it's 100% guaranteed. It, the, the CPI increase will go through on August 22 on the election day because it's been depoliticised. Put it on, put it on January, January 27 or something. Um, that's a bigger problem that we have, though, isn't it? Because, you know, we've got the chief minister saying that he can't possibly do a budget now and he can't possibly release financial figures and 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 the and the pre-election fiscal outlook which everyone relies on and the other parties to see where the finances are and what they can conceivably do if they come in and for voters too, to get a sense of where the money is and uh, yeah we're not seeing that leadership from there and that may be you know caused by political service issues and deals too um i don't know i'd like to see i'd like to see that though well let me let me enlighten you fellas in case you didn't already know um, the, the, from what I understand, the Commonwealth is going to hand down their budget in September, right? October, I think it was. They said, yeah. We're, we were just talking to Senator Sam McMahon about it, actually. Okay. We can't hear. We ran a story. Yeah. Right, right. Now, now, the Territory doesn't need the Commonwealth to hand down its budget before the Territory hands down its budget because they already know what's going to be in it, right? Yeah. Uh, the GST, which is, yeah, not exactly. changing right? that now, much. Uh, You can't tell me the Commonwealth public servants are not going to share that information with the Territory in order for them to get their, their books in order, okay? Now, as a matter of self-government, under the Self-Government Act, the, the, the Territory uh, must have an election by October of this year. So why can't they wait, uh, hand down the budget and defer the election to October. Why do they have to go to the election in August, have all Territorians blind about exactly what the state of the books are like, and, you know, and then deal with the consequences afterwards? I mean, it just <laughs> no, doesn't make sense to me. It seems irresponsible uh, on a number of levels here. But, you know, we, we've run a couple of really good stories on the anti-independence site this week about that. And we were talking to Scott McConnell who said, look, I'm, I'm fearing right now by Gunner's refusal to release the finances that we're trading insolvent, that the territory is bankrupt right now. I mean, we know last time that the, the debt was hurtling, it was 6.2 billion, but it, I mean, it'll be way over that. They spent hundreds of millions more on budgeted right after the budget. Within the first two months, they spent $170 million that, that wasn't budgeted for. Um, that, that idea that, 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 it, it, that it is bankrupt. I mean, look, we, we know that there's $4 million a day. That was last time. It's probably more than that now, $4 million a day they're borrowing just to pay the wages of the public servants and keep the lights on. And you've got something like a million dollars a day just in interest on the previous borrowings. I mean, there there is something in there where that's that sounds like insolvency. That, um, and you know, and to push that election. I mean, the 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 idea that the gunner would want to run out the election on August, of course, is if you're looking at that cynically, it's that he's riding. He's got a bump in the polls uh, because of his handling of the COVID nineteen crisis. So he wants to ride that into an election uh, victory. Um, but yeah, how, how he can do that. I think this is like where reality starts to catch up with the Gunner government is that people don't forget. They, they, 
they, they all rallied together because that's what we had to do. We all had to rally together and look out for one another, make sure we were safe in the biggest health crisis in a century. And we've done that. And now we, we're, we're coming out of that. We have to get back to realizing what happened. And I don't think people forget that the, the Ghana government was mishandling the, the economy and the finances of this place, like just blatantly mishandling it. And I, and I think that that's going to come, that's going to come out more um, as we get closer to the election. Of course, the other sides will do it, but I think we're looking at a place where what happens, what happens when the credit, when the territory's credit rating drops again, who's going to lend us the money? Like we, we've asked those questions, right? Like if, it's like banks in Europe, countries in Europe and in Asia, stuff like that. But when does the territory become junk bonds? And they're working on that really quickly here. And it's going to be, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I think this year we're going to, we're going to be in for a reckoning for sure. Mm. And what do you think that's going to look like? How will that play out in your mind? I don't know. I mean, look, there, you talk to some people who are saying we need the feds to come in. We need some sort of federal intervention here that this was, this is not working and it can't conceivably go on like that. And the feds are probably, you know, don't really want to do that because, you know, whatever it's costing them, $6 billion, $8 billion a year to, um, to have the, the facade of respectability up here, you know, that's really a small price to pay and then having to go in and fix the place if it's, if it is completely insolvent. But, um, they're, they're going to have to do something because our own government isn't taking this seriously. And when you're not following that, that Langelant review, which I've read, which took me a long time to read, cause that's very dense. You probably looked at it too on own, but um, they are just not doing anything that they were, that he says continuous budgeting process has to stop, stop spending on things outside of the budget. And what do they do? They say, here's $12 million for a grandstand. It was outside of the budget that they had just passed a month earlier. Like it, that kind of my, stuff is just so crazy. My fear, though, is with that Langland report is that as brutal and as harsh as it is, I, I, I still think it's a glossy, proactive overview of the actual situation. Um, we, we just can't keep spending money like we have, um, going at record debt levels. You know, we, we were targeting $8 billion debt. Now, now the, 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 we have to have blown that out considerably. Um, and there was just no money put away for a rainy day, and and uh, we were spending like drunken sailors. Mm. Um, you know, who who needs an ad on a, a AFL boosting boundless possible for three hundred thousand dollars? That's um, you know, it's just crazy spending. You know, signs on rockets to fly in Queensland. It's 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 just craziness, and it's from a group of a uh, a government that's full of people that have never had to make their own money in private business, so they just don't have that perspective. Hmm. Well, uh, it does. <laughs> is there any good news out there? <laughs> yeah, the ending independence launched. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good story about pets recently. A good story about, uh, no, not the pet rental laws. No, no, about like during the, the pandemic that uh, adoptions, pet adoptions have gone up during the right. pandemic because people are home and have time to look after. Once, so, that, so does that mean once they go back to work, the pets are going back to the shelter? So <laughs> yeah, what the well, heck, you know? A, you're a cynical uh, man, Leon. Oh, <laughs> just, I one just, good, I, sorry, one good thing, this, this is just plugging the paper, but one thing that we're doing every week, it's a segment called Good and Gammon, um, very territorial, but we do outline what we think's been good and it's, it's, it's usually stories that are, 
that aren't big enough to make a a um a proper story. But yeah, just outlining what's good and gammon. So that's um that's it's probably to to give praise to the NT News a um um in line with their bush ranger. So oh yeah yeah yeah. 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 But well, we'll look, be pointing out good things and, and bad things. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, look, fellas, uh, I really want to congratulate you on this endeavour. Um, I, ha- I-, I will start reading the paper just to see uh, what you guys have got there. I, I was very pleased with what you said, uh, uh, Chris, about the independence and about uh, all, all those sort of structures that you guys are putting in place to ensure that it's, it's fair and it's balanced and it's, um, it's quality journalism because I think that's what mm. people crave. You know, that, yep. that's, what, that's what I crave, certainly, you know. I mean, yeah. part of it, I mean, and I've you know, probably beaten this to death on my podcast, but, you know, I, I do read the New York Times and Washington Post because I just find the standard of journalism just so incredibly high. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that they always get everything right, but just the in-depth analysis, the coverage, the, the ability to allow you to form your own opinions, mm-hmm. I think is what quality journalism, journalism is all about. Yeah, well, so, me too, Leon. Yeah, that's uh, that's our aim here. That is definitely our aim. And I think we've hit it on some fine days here. And you can go in and have a look at things. We're reporting things that, that others aren't. And hopefully we have that perspective. I think I know a lot about NT politics. I haven't covered it for six years and written a book about it. So, I'm, you know, my insights there. And I'm I'm still covering politics every day here for the NT Independent. So. And so how do people find the paper, Chris? Yeah, so it's, it's, you can Google NT Independent and it comes up straight away, uh, but it is ntindependent.com.au and then the Facebook page, which is wildly popular and growing in popularity every day. We've, we've got polls and different exclusive stuff that we're dropping on Facebook so, and Twitter. So, um, yeah, we're trying to be everywhere. We're going to keep I, trying to be And what's, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it was, yeah, see, that's David Wood's uh, <laughs> role here. I think it's independent NT, independent NT, at independent NT. Right, right, right. Well, Owen, any last comments before we... Uh, yeah, I'll just, just, just one last thing. We've, we are out there, we're trying to be the voice of the people. We've had, we've had the opposition, the CLP engage with this Territory Alliance, the federal Labor member, Luke Gosling, um, federal CLP, um, other independents like um, Charles Darwin University, the councils, all the councils are either answering our questions and even Combat Scarlet is on our page commenting. Um, the only disappointing thing is that the government are not responding to any questions and they've silenced the public service. They've actually silenced the apolitical public service and told them they are not to speak to us. Um, that, that in itself shows what control that these people have and it's not right. Um, and, and that's the very reason that we're doing it. And I'm playing the long game. This will be around after the next election um, and, and that's just not acceptable. Um, that, that's probably where I leave it, and and that's putting so much behind it. That and that's why I want to bring other local businesses on on board and, and to support it, so that when a local individual sees a local business advertise on this page, that they know that that business believes in the Northern Territory and believes in in democracy here. Um, so that's probably what I'd leave with, and, and and just to highlight that we have a we have a government that won't respond to an independent news source that is being run by very credible journalists as you, you hear the passion coming out of Chris Walsh's mouth um, and they've also silenced their public their public service which i think is um, flat out disgusting well on that note uh Thank you, fellas, for uh, being on the podcast. Wish you all the best. And uh, I'm certain that uh, uh, if you're willing, uh, we'd uh, love to have you back on, on, uh, on the podcast again at some point in the future. No Definitely. Yeah. 
You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.